helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders and next level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your hosts, Craig Johns and Ben Gathercole. On this episode of the Active CEO Podcast, we have the pleasure of speaking with a young, enthusiastic and tenacious CEO who loves to be at the cutting edge of service innovation. He has highly self-motivated, driven, passionate about leading teams and disrupting the way we think and act. Known for his ability to positively influence through his infectious leadership style, he has been a director at Ludlow Thompson in the UK, CEO of Sun Connect, and is now the CEO of Choice Energy. He co-founded Choice Energy in 2013. By 2017, the Australian Financial Review recognised Choice Energy as the 12th fastest growing company in Australia. Ben and I are extremely excited to introduce and welcome you to our very special guest, Christine. Chris, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for the intro, Craig, and uh, nice to meet you, Ben. Yes, yep, ab- absolutely. And I love listening to those intros and you've packed a lot into to what you've done so far. It's, um, it's a full credit to you, so well done. Great, thank you very much. So as a young up-and-coming CEO, can we first take a step back and learn a little bit about your upbringing and education? Sure. Um, so local Melbourne boy, um, never the smartest guy in the room, but uh, always had a pretty good drive. Um, and I think that's kind of got me uh, where I am today, just uh, wanting to do more. Um, so didn't go to university, um, wasn't too sure what I wanted to do. I did get into a course and deferred for a year, which became two and then three, and then found myself on a plane over to the UK. Uh, I did go back to school once I decided I wanted to run a business and studied business management, but I was probably 27 uh, years old by then. Um, but just yeah, had, a, had a bit of a hunger um, and a bit of a drive out there, always was into uh, competitiveness from sports and uh, found a way to tie that into business and uh, performance management and that type of stuff, starting out in, in sales. So, Cool. Can you maybe uh, elaborate a bit more into your, your sales background? You know, what, what is, do you find that as kind of a, a strength of yours? Yeah, um, because it's uh, something you can control, I guess. Uh, so many people go through their lives worrying about things that are outside of their control. And uh, with sales, you've got activities and numbers and uh, you can develop yourself. Uh, so I think that was uh, one of my strengths. Uh, most people don't treat sales uh, like a career. Um, maybe they've been told they've got the gift of the gab and they've got a lot of energy so they get into it and then tend to just go through the motions and some are successful and some aren't. Um, I started reading books on it and started studying time management and communication skills and that type of stuff and found I did okay. Uh, but my real strength came uh, helping other people hit their goals. So uh, I think I was 22 years old when I started managing and uh, it was a little bit like a fish out of water and uh, no one really to guide me. So I started buying books and reading and just decided that I'll hit my goals by helping other people hit theirs. Um, and I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, so that, that whole goal setting aspect um, seems to be coming through already and, and you can see those numbers and that performance driven. So, so what was a, you know, I suppose a key driver for you being so passionately involved in leading the energy sector? Um, as mentioned to, to Ben before, um, 
I came back from the UK after after seven years in 2011, and there was a little bit of a, a crash in the property market. My background was property over there in the in the United Kingdom, and uh, the opportunity weren't there uh, to follow through property or as much as I would like. So I looked at growth industries, and uh, two of the fastest growing industries in the world were aged care. We've got a uh, aging population, as everyone knows, and renewable energy, and tried to sit down and didn't take me too long to work out which one I, I thought I could have more fun in. Uh, so I started uh, exploring opportunities and uh, with the rising cost of power, uh, 2011 I think we had the carbon tax come in and businesses were really hurting. Um, and for probably 10 years the cost of solar had been falling and uh, Kevin Rudd in 2007 introduced some government grants. and. Companies out there were doing okay in the residential space, but no one had really attacked the commercial space. So um, my first role was to set up uh, a commercial solar team for a residential solar company. And within a year, we'd closed down the residential side of things and uh, commercially it was booming. And uh, a couple of years in that company, I was CEO. Um, and then decided that I thought I could do it a little bit better uh, with my own business and add a few other strings to the bow and that's what we've done at Choice Energy with other services besides just solar to, to support that revenue stream. Is that quite a big mental change going from working in someone else's company to now running your own? Uh, yeah, you sleep a little bit less at the, at the start um, but again you can control what you can control and uh, my goal was always the same uh, whether it was in someone else's company I always looked at my job uh, as running a business within a business and that's really how we work with our team here cultures number one um, and from the day everyone joins they're, they're told to look at their desk like their own business uh, and everyone gets the autonomy, autonomy they need uh, they get support as well um, and I just think it's, uh, it's much more fun so yeah so um, tell me a little bit about some of those commercial customers. Are they? You, I would imagine you view those as uh, partnerships, and and who are they, and, and how do you help those people? Yeah, great. Um, one of our flagship relationships would be the Independent Hardware Group, which is Mitre Ten Home Timber and Hardware. There's around 800 stores, uh, so we partnered with them in 2016. Uh, we've installed solar on about 40 of those sites now, um, and we help them with their energy procurement and power factor correction. So they're a great brand. Uh, we've also got some strong verticals. So I'm speaking in Sydney next week at an aged care conference. There's 80 of the biggest aged care sites uh, come along and look how they can reduce their operating costs. And a lot of timber, uh, manufacturing industry, that sort of stuff. So anywhere with a big roof and a big electricity bill, uh, we're here to help. So it's a, it's a good job. We get paid money to help people save money. And one of our solutions happens to be quite environmentally friendly. Yeah. And could you just explain some of those technical terms? So you talked about the procurement of um, electricity and uh, something else? Uh, yeah, power factor correction. So yes. without getting into yeah. too much jargon, because uh, electricity is quite boring. Uh, we, we try and have fun, fun with it and we don't take ourselves too seriously, but we take what we do seriously. Um, a good example, if you look at the MCG, they buy a lot of power. Uh, so one of the ways to make sure you get the best rates is uh, you use an energy broker like Choice Energy and we can go out and do a tender uh, where we get different retailers to put in a bid for the rate. Uh, so we help businesses try and make sure they're paying the right rates. Uh, you also get a lot of network charges if you're a, a high demand business and there are solutions like power factor correction and solar and LED and that sort of stuff. So um, what we try and do is help businesses pay less for the power they're using but also use a little bit less power. 
and and build that relationship obviously is a, a massive part of that yeah spot on the the floor with the solar market there's been a lot of cowboys come and go it's a very transactional business so mm. most companies are selling solar like selling an appliance like a fridge from the good guys or jb hi-fi uh, we definitely set up a partnership uh, we've got ongoing reporting and we guarantee our returns uh, so we're definitely taking this from a more of a solution uh, than selling a tangible product i was just interested in where do you see this heading over the next 10 20 or even project out further to a 50-year time span what, what's it going to look like for us it's pretty exciting uh, we need electricity one of the uh, topical questions at the moment is going to be the effect of electric vehicles so i read a statistic last week that if 50 percent of victoria went electric today the grid would crash uh, so the infrastructure isn't built for that sort of change i uh, read another stat that by 2030 potentially three out of four new cars will be electric so we're moving towards 70% plus of cars being electric and the grid can't handle it. So most people uh, would plug their cars in and charge them at the same time after work at 6 or 7 p.m. Um, so there'll be great stress on the grid uh, during those time frames. Solar works when the sun's shining, so 10 in the morning till 3 p.m. So unless you've got storage and battery and that sort of stuff, uh, solar won't be a solution to charge electric vehicles. Uh, but this stuff's uh, quite exciting. Uh, we're in the middle of a solar boom. Uh, potentially got five years to go in its traditional sense, but uh, new solutions are coming out all the time. I touched on battery, uh, the price of batteries falling. Uh, it's pretty exciting for smaller businesses and homes uh, to sort of move away from the grid to an extent. Uh, probably not a solution yet for larger manufacturing, but uh, you know, in 2010, if you asked me what I'd be doing, I didn't really know too much about solar and wouldn't have said I'd be in renewable energy. If you ask me today what our solutions will look like in five years, the answer is we probably don't know. Um, and that's what's cool about uh, this industry and uh, being in control of the ship that you're steering, you can uh, look at different solutions and reinvent yourself periodically when needed. Isn't it interesting where one solution creates another puzzle to solve and yeah. you know, everyone's worried about robots for instance, um, but any time you build a robot, as you know, we're finding out here with the, this power of, of supplying enough solar energy to to you know meet the demand of electric vehicles they're going to have the same kind of puzzles coming out of robotics and right. automated industries aren't they and for you know jobs that we're losing in manufacturing we're getting other services and it jobs created i think uh, solar for example has over six thousand uh, paid uh, employees nationally so there's a lot of jobs around booming markets that you know 10 years ago there would have been hundreds of jobs not even thousands so it's you know quite exciting uh, we're not that large a business here we've got around 30 staff but a year ago we had 10 yeah. you know two years ago we had five or six so um, you know it's a, a whole industry that's you know just popped up its head and yeah we're looking forward to the next chapter and that's interesting for you too from a management point of view you're scaling so you know relatively quickly you know five to ten to now 30 right it, it's growing quite quick so obviously the next step by the way things are working for your company, it's gonna be you know 100 probably in the next year or two. Yeah. So how are you gonna deal with that? We're trying to employ a little bit better foresight. Uh, we're in our third office in three years, uh, so we've had to break a couple of leases there. Um, just sheer demand, there's a, a bit of a crisis out there in the energy market. There's been seven prime ministers in the last seven to 10 years, and most of those jobs have uh, fallen around energy policy. Um, the national energy guarantees where we lost Turnbull, uh, carbon tax was where we lost Gillard. 
So it's one thing that the government haven't been able to get right, uh, and that's where businesses like Choice Energy can come in and uh, help other businesses actually do something rather than wait around for someone to fly in with a cape and, and save them. So how is it shaping both suppliers and consumers' decision-making behaviours? Um, the decision-making behaviours are having to evolve. Um, the one thing with renewable energy, no one's purchased a commercial solar system before when you speak to them. Um, the nature of uh, what we do, if they had solar on their roof, we wouldn't be in a conversation. So in terms of purchases, most people's house is their biggest purchase and then potentially a car. Um, our average transaction is around $150,000, so it sort of sits somewhere in between buying a car and buying a house. So it's a pretty, pretty big decision. Um, and our job is really to make people feel comfortable uh, with us as a partner through that big decision. The problem, if they don't make a decision, the, the, well, the decision to buy power has already been made. So uh, everyone we help is already buying electricity. Um, and we try and make jumping off that cliff and moving into solar uh, a little bit easier for them because it's just another way to buy power. Uh, solar in itself is just a vehicle to create electricity. Um, so we just try and compare paying for a solar system like paying for electricity bill, but one happens to be far, far cheaper. Excellent. So, so what is the, you know, the greatest challenge and, and, I, and I suppose on the opposite end of the spectrum with the most exciting opportunities for a relatively new startup company in the energy sector right now? Um, there's a lot of startups happening around peer-to-peer -peer energy, um, so microgrids, uh, it's fairly archaic the way we get power, so we're sitting in Richmond now in Melbourne, uh, power's being created down in the Latrobe Valley, maybe 200 kilometres away in a big old power station that can't turn off at night because the, the coal's got to burn 24 hours a day, and that power travels hundreds of kilometres down wires and poles to get into this building. Um, we've got a roof sitting above us and we can put a, a power station that can create power effectively for free once the, the hardware has been paid for. Um, so that's uh, it's quite a unique uh, thing that we do and it's, uh, it's different, it's exciting and it's just getting that message across to, to businesses that you know, you've got a dormant asset sitting on your roof that's not doing anything, we can turn that into a, a power station. So that's it, the message. It sounds yeah, it sounds incredibly simple, but as you said a few times ago, it's tripped up plenty of prime ministers in recent time. Um, how do you continue to sort of change the narrative and, and sell is probably not the right word about it, but the, the greater good? I think if you hit the nail on the head, uh, we try and keep it simple, stupid. Um, yep. uh, in terms of the technology, it can be quite complicated, but uh, you go and speak to a layperson about uh, specifications of a solar panel and their eyes are probably going to roll into the back of their heads. Uh, what do they really care about? Uh, they care about what, what's it going to do for them. Um, so as complicated as the solution could be, our job's really uh, to keep it simple. So when you buy power off a retailer, you don't really talk to them about the wires and the poles and the power stations and the voltage and the fluctuations and how you get the power into the building. You talk to the power company about the price. Uh, so we've managed to make solar the same, you know, let's talk about the price, a kilowatt hour is a kilowatt hour, um, there's no really good quality or bad quality kilowatt hours, it's just units of, of power, so uh, we do a lot of training for our team um, and we're experts and authorities in solar and renew renewable energy, but when we sit down with a business owner or a CFO or a finance director, we're really just trying to keep it as simple as possible, uh, it's just buying power, um, once you've paid for your solution, you've got 
25 years free power. Uh, solar in itself has got a pretty long lifespan because there's no moving parts uh, on a solar panel. It's a static technology. Um, so yeah, that's really just getting the message across and also that we're not like uh, everyone else. Like there's been, I think, 700 plus solar companies going to administration. Um, that's quite extreme uh, for what's such a growing market that most solar companies can't get it right. Um, so just giving them a little bit of a trust and uh, one of the reasons businesses are trusting us for solar is that we don't just do solar. So if the government were to scrap funding, you could see 70% of solar companies go bust. Uh, we happen to make money from energy procurement and other solutions that we sell. Uh, that's quite important if you've got a 20-25 year partnership with a business around your warranty that their business model is stable. So we're a little bit more insulated to booms and busts of an industry, uh, which we have seen a lot around anything involving government money. Uh, we saw it with the pink bats. Uh, there's been feed-in tariffs come and go and upfront grants change all of the time. Uh, speculation every day. Um, so you can get caught up in it all or you have a nice simple solution and try and speak to as many people as you can about it. I can hear this unbelievable passion in your voice um, about what you're doing and how you're doing it how do you how do you lead your team how do you lead your business um, what makes you the the difference um, great saying I've uh, heard a, a fish rots from the head first uh, so my business partner and I are pretty big on standards uh, we like say do so you don't have to say it but if you say it you've got to do it uh, to the point where I'm probably a little bit annoying about it, we'll be in a meeting and someone will say what they hope to and hope or intend to do, and I'll make a mental note or write it down or put it in my calendar, and uh, the next week I'll ask them if they did it. Uh, so it get a little bit annoying. It was my business partner that actually gave me that saying, and he's the one that tends to get caught out a little bit uh, with it as well. So um, one of my mentors, I was a founder of the business in London that I worked for, uh, told me there are two types of people. I want I am or I do I am uh, most people want to be successful and to make money uh, but wanting it makes you no different from uh, somebody uh, out on the street that's unemployed everyone uh, in my company wants to be successful but who are actually doing the right things um, everyone wants extraordinary pay uh, but not everyone's uh, willing to do extraordinary work um, so yeah, we're pretty big on trying to cultivate the I do, I am behaviours. So uh, what does that look like? Uh, 8.30 in the morning we start. The doers tend to be in before 8. Uh, they're prepared, they're practised. Uh, they don't get sick as much because they look after themselves. Um, so we, we think that's one of the reasons that our culture is quite good. Um, we also you know, have a lot of perks for our team. So in winter, um, you know, quite aware that a lot of uh, employees take more sick days in winter, so um, all of our team get one day a week where they can come in at 10 a.m. and they're encouraged to use that morning for exercise or meditation or walking or even just laying in bed. Uh, we found that our sick days dropped dramatically when everyone could start at 10 o'clock uh, once a week just to, to relax. People tend to use it on a Tuesday or a Wednesday to, to gather their thoughts. Um, we pay for a lot of self-development. Um, everybody's got a budget uh, of $30 a month to buy a book. Uh, so if your time management's poor, you're encouraged to buy a book on time management. 
Um, you know, even some of the oldies, how to win friends and influence people and that sort of stuff's quite quite good when you're in a, a sales organisation. So we encourage self-development and sharing ideas and tips and, and podcasts. Uh, we had a sales meeting this morning and we listened to a, a podcast for seven or eight minutes as a team uh, together to explore a concept. Um, so yeah, really trying to drive people. Um, I know with your triathlon backgrounds, the first uh, sprint distance triathlon in Melbourne's in two weeks and we've got eight of our 30 employees going along and Choice Energy pay for everyone's ticket uh, to go along and we get kits made up and that sort of stuff. Uh, we've paid for team bike rides and, and that sort of stuff, so it's quite exciting. Um, Chris, seeing... that's just fantastic to hear. Like I I'm feel really chuffed just to listen to you talk about those sorts of things because the benefit of that, it's almost a pay-forward type concept and I can only give you full credit for it, mate. So congratulations, and there's no wonder why you're successful at what you do. I appreciate that. Um, an investment in in people uh, is going to pay back more than more than anything else. So there's a, there's a, a question I read in a book a long time ago, maybe ten years ago. Um, if you don't invest in yourself, does that make you a bad investment? So you know, a lot of people won't spend a dollar on whether it's their health or their self-development, but they'll go to a company and ask for, for more money. Um, I think, well, hang on, you want me to invest in you, but you're not going to invest in yourself. So we lead by example and we say, you know what, we'll, we'll invest in you, but we expect you to uh, to do the same. Uh, so you know, a company, rather than just give, a, a company should give back. Um, and yeah, and it's, it's exciting watching people grow. We've got um, a, a gentleman that just uh, joined us fairly recently in the last year and uh, wasn't going to the gym and wasn't in shape and now he goes every lunchtime and his resting heart rate went from 90 plus to somewhere around 65, 70 within oh. sort of three months of joining and that stuff's great. Uh, seeing people coming on a Monday tired with bags under their eyes and um, within a few months working with the business they just get, uh, most people come along for the, the health and fitness journey as well. We figure people that look after themselves have got more energy and they can perform better. Um, we encourage lunch breaks and everyone can go to the gym. A lot of companies that sort of frowned upon taking your, your full break, but um, I had my hour break today and I went for a 25 minute run and a 15 minute swim and it's a bit of a rush and you eat at your desk, but that hour that you spend on yourself in the middle of the day, you tend to get back uh, you know, uh, two or threefold in terms of your energy levels. Yeah, and so how do you control uh, the performance aspect, because I know one of your colleagues is out swimming in the pool today and there seems to be a bit of competitiveness between you. Yep. Is that encouraged or is that something you have to manage a little bit between no, no. the team? Uh, I, I think it's all healthy, healthy competition. Um, the the banter's good. Uh, you know, sometimes we have to remind ourselves that uh, tone, tone it in a bit or, or rein in the banter, <laughs> but um, you know, it's in, in a sales organisation and that's, you know, we're, we're an energy company but what we do is we go out and speak to people and help them. I know sales is a bit taboo uh, in terms of language uh, but you know, we, we believe we're helping people and uh, we're proud of what we do and our intent uh, is coming from the right place. If you truly believe you're trying to help someone then it's not really salesy, uh, we don't look down upon it. So. Um, and going from sport and being competitive there, you know, you pick up the phone and make phone calls, so everything's data driven for us, uh, you know, how many calls, how many conversations, how many people we help, so um, you find when we're interviewing people, our sales manager had a scholarship in America playing basketball, uh, there's a few people into triathlon, uh, my business partner played rugby at quite a high level uh, in the UK, uh, you find that if you've got what it takes, uh, to perform well in a lot of sports, uh, that's quite transferable into the business world. Not always, but but often. 
So they, they tell me um, that you can sell a fridge to an Eskimo. So what is the key to your success in the art of selling? Oh, probably haven't been selling too much myself for, for a while, but um, I enjoyed it. Again, I'm not, definitely not the smartest person in the room, but I think it all goes back to, to intent. Um, I project an okayness whether I work with someone or not. So the, the concept we're talking about today was a level of detachment. So we're engaged and we really want to help people. But if somebody doesn't want to work with us, we won't lose any sleep. Uh, we know we've got the right solution, uh, but we're not desperate, we're not needy. We don't force people to, to make decisions. There's no hard closing um, that you sort of see with the 1980s sales training. So um, yeah, just, just intent. So if I'm speaking to somebody, I'm genuinely trying to help them. But at the end of the conversation, if they hear my story and they don't think we're right, uh, a right match, um, that's okay, I'm happy to continue what I'm doing and they can continue what they're doing. And I think projecting that okayness, that it's good if we work together, but it's okay if we don't. Um, I think a lot of people find that quite attractive, uh, especially with solar, if you've got a 20, 25 year warranty, you're gonna potentially work with this person for a long time. So that, uh, that needy salesperson that's trying to close you down on the spot or force a quick decision tends not to work with a, a larger solution cell. Um, I guess that's one of my, my key strengths. Um, but hopefully my team are, are much better than me um, now. So you're as good as the people that, that work for you in this game. And um, it's been great seeing our team come along um, and, and improve themselves. Um, we're big on, uh, we've borrowed from Sky Racing marginal gain. So uh, to get twice as good within a year doesn't sound too realistic, but to get 1% better each week does. Um, and because it compounds, that's not 52% better. I think it's around 80% better or something like that. So um, if you've got a, a driven team that genuinely want to help people and you can drive them to improve themselves, uh, yeah, they're going to do some good things. Excellent. So do you, you know, when we go to recruitment, do you hire people for their ability to sell or do you focus more on training someone to sell based on some other characteristics they have? Is it attitude over aptitude? I think uh, the, the line to throw in there. Uh, it's more about mindset. Um, again, we try and steer away from anyone who is too salesy, uh, the used car salesman cliche. Um, so we're trying to build a brand and um, be trusted advisors in this industry. Uh, so definitely not looking for hard sales skills. We're looking for the right attitude, uh, the right mindset, how do people uh, approach setbacks and challenges, uh, that, those sorts of things, being able to think outside the box. Um, they're the type of things we look for rather than uh, someone who's salesy, with uh, inverted uh, and, commas there. And Chris, can I ask, um, what do you think the biggest lesson that you've learned so far in your career? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, definitely leading by example. Um, think that if there's a, a time where I'm not on, um, you can see that pretty quickly uh, move through the team and the company. Uh, I work one day a week from home. Um, I've got a two-year-old daughter and uh, six months after she was born, I wanted to take her to daycare and pick her up and spend a bit more time there. So uh, one thing we noticed, uh, our activity rates on the Thursday that I didn't work uh, dropped. Um, and the answer for me isn't to just make sure I'm here all the time, uh, managing by walking around, as they say in management, um, it's to try and uh, better empower and better motivate and ask better questions to find out why 
uh, if everyone's working for their own business within our greater business, um, why somebody else being in the office or not uh, should affect them and their goals. If everyone's got their why, uh, to borrow from Simon Sinek, if you've got a strong enough why, uh, whether there's 100 people or one person in the office should not make a difference. So um, that was a lesson. Um, it took six or eight weeks to really drill down and, and notice. And um, you know, we managed to get close to solving that problem by uh, asking better questions and making sure everyone knows what they're here to do and that they've got their own goals. Um, and that was a, yeah, an interesting, uh, interesting journey. How do you measure that productivity? Was it just based on observation of sales calls or, yeah. or clients being picked up on that day? Or? We've got a CRM system, um, so all activities recorded, um, and each week we sit down and we can look at the activity. Um, but you know, anecdotally, you can tell just by uh, the way people are talking and the way people are walking. Um, you know, in, in a sales industry, everyone's got a, a dollar value on their head. Um, everyone's got a certain amount of sales they make. That's just the, the nature of the, of the game. So um, being able to put our finger on these sorts of things quickly um, is one of our goals moving forward um, so that we don't have six or eight weeks of lost productivity. Um, for example, coming into Christmas, uh, December and January, in a lot of industries are quiet. Um, we're, not try we're trying not to be too uh, reactive with that and sit around in February and say, oh, hey ho, what happened? Uh, January got us again. So we're having conversations now about uh, you know, how do we work better in January and December. So uh, a bit better planning and, and that type of stuff. Very good. Now, um I guess I'd like to ask something uh, on a more personal level. Do you use any rituals or habits on a daily level to ensure that you're bringing your A game to work because um, you know you're, you're such a driving force in the company? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have to do some sort of exercise uh, for my mental health. Um, I, when I started managing, um, I was quite young. Uh, and initially I would have sleepless nights and I just I remember the first day I just went for a run and I was so tired I'd slept two or three hours just laying up thinking about work and I just wanted to run to tire myself out uh, and I slept that night so the next day I just ran again so I would sleep um, and then sort of created behaviors around that and noticed if I didn't um, do any form of exercise I didn't sleep as well uh, so definitely exercises as one of those things, I try and do something six or seven days a week uh, just to make sure I'm sharp and it doesn't have to be big sessions or anything like that. I know everyone's different, uh, but the, if I go two days without exercising, um, I need to be pretty efficient. Uh, this morning, uh, we had three meetings back to back. I get 200 emails a day. There's 30 people in the office that wanna uh, pop in and say hello and tell me what they're doing. Um, I need to not get frustrated and be cool, calm and collected. Uh, so to do that, I have an outlet, and for me, at the moment, it's a triathlon, but that's only been for two years. Before then, it was uh, squash or a bit of cricket or running or golf or whatever it was. So um, I try and be active. Uh, I try and eat well. Um, I'll have a bit of a binge on a weekend, but, but most of the meals are pretty healthy. Um, I just want to act uh, from a pretty high level because, uh, again, that's a repeat the saying, a fish rots from the head first. So if I'm tired and I'm not energetic and I'm not getting through my emails every day and I'm uh, yawning in meetings, then why should I expect anything different for, for the rest of the team that work with me? So um, always trying to, trying to lead by example there. So 
definitely having a good uh, mindset around stress, uh, which ties into food and exercise. Yeah, absolutely. Do you mind walking us through any particular scary decision that has required you to have to make a really difficult choice? Yeah, um, working with uh, friends is tough, um, especially if it's not working out. Um, so that's something that I would always uh, caution anyone on, making sure that you get a clear upfront uh, agreement on what you expect from each other. Um, Money's always tough when you're setting up a business. So uh, my business partner and I, uh, Choice Energy's got eight figure turnover. Uh, we haven't borrowed any money. Um, we owe no money to a bank or anything like that. But setting up a business with you know, our, our wages at the moment, a quarter of a million dollars a month, we need to make sure that there's 250 grand there to pay everyone's salaries. And um, as we grew, it takes a while to get paid. Uh, we grew 400% year one, around 250% year two. Um, so not bringing on an investor was a tough decision. Um, probably had a dozen meetings about whether to do it or not. Um, and now that we're in a, a good place, we're glad that we've got control of the company. Um, but yeah, that was a, a tough decision. We probably would have been a bit of a, a nicer business to work for in year one and year two if we brought on money. Um, you can be a little bit, uh, in terms of your decision making, uh, we had to make a lot of our decisions based on the next 90 days. Uh, we're now we're fortunate enough to be in a position where we can look to, to five or 10 years ahead and try and build a better business for the future rather than try and make payroll. Uh, there were months a couple of years ago where we had uh, 100 grand payroll going out on a Wednesday and 90 grand in the bank on the Tuesday. Um, so, you know, that sort of stuff. Uh, they're scary decisions. Big, yep. big decisions, yep. Uh, business partner and I are similar ages, uh, both had young families and wives at the time that weren't working um, and we're trying to worry about being role models at home and good husbands and fathers, uh, being good role models at work, um, being good company directors uh, and making sure we get that extra 10 grand to pay everyone's wages the next day whilst somehow being motivational and uh, showing that you're pretty cool on the outside. All in a day's work. All in a day's work, that's right. <laughs> so we all know smart people have great answers, but the best people have great questions. So when was the last time you did something for the first time? Great question. Um, two things come to mind. Uh, they're not really work related, but um, I got my first swimming lesson this year. Um, I cannot swim. Um, if I'm gonna do something, I wanna do it properly. So when I did get into uh, doing some triathlons. I was pretty annoyed that my swim times weren't great. So I did uh, swimming lessons when I was a kid, but probably not post 10 or 12 years old. Um, the first lesson I got was a, an older chap who told me to kick faster. And then I got a lesson from a younger chap who told me to kick slower. So I got a bit of mixed information, <laughs> but uh, yeah, 35, 36, getting a first swimming lesson in 20 years was quite interesting. and. The other thing is, I mentioned my daughter, um, you know, she's two and a half and I'm teaching her how to kick a football and uh, for me that's uh, really exciting, sort of being able to, you know, teach your, your daughter something and uh, it's good fun for me down at the park kicking the footy around. So um, I haven't taught my child how to play sports before and I think that's uh, something that I'm looking forward uh, to. One of my good friends uh, bought my daughter a, an Essendon Football Club membership when she was born on her birthday. So. Looking forward to, to dragging her along to some footy games soon. 
And, and for you, you know, obviously you're hiring people. What's been your favorite, most favorite interview question so far and why? Oh, wow. We try and uh, think outside the box a little bit. Uh, in sales, uh, interviewing salespeople, they tend to have uh, a lot of answers. They're, they're good at talking, um, but maybe not so much at delivering. So we try and uh, get people off guard a little bit. Uh, I tend to ask, what's the biggest lie uh, you've ever told? Um, and it's hard to admit a lie. Yeah. Uh, so I've tripped up a few people there. People there. One, uh, one interviewer, uh, interviewee, excuse me, uh, said that it was pretty big and it ended up in gross misconduct and it was something to do with uh, a fraudulent signature. And he's in an interview for a job and uh, <laughs> thanked him for his time and uh, wished him a good day from there. At least you know he's honest. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So that's a pretty good one. Um, I try and get people to role play a little bit. So, uh, Craig, if you're late to work today, I'd like you to come up with a really extravagant lie and it can't be public transport or traffic. Uh, if you can make something up on the spot for me. Oh, so had a chicken, had a chicken breast for lunch and uh, for breakfast, and I got chicken bone got stuck in my throat. Beautiful. So you can think on your feet. So and it makes it fun, right? We're both laughing. Yeah. Um, you know, typical interview questions are quite boring. They're quite scripted. Uh, scripted. I think the average tenure. Uh, at a workplace is around two and a half years and getting shorter. Um, I've only ever worked for, for three companies and two of those I left the country, so they ended and then the other one I left to work for myself. Um, so I haven't worked for as many people, but um, if I'm interviewing someone that's 40 and they've been working for 20 years, they've probably had eight or 10 jobs, they've done a lot of interviews, so uh, yeah, you find interview questions pretty scripted. So I've just got a list of questions that uh, I find interesting and you wanna have fun as well. Um, if I'm interviewing, I probably did eight interviews last week. Same questions that can be pretty boring. Um, so yeah, just try and make it fun for myself, just for my pure sanity. Yeah. So, so the real question here is, what's the best answer you've had to that one? Uh, thinking on the spot, uh, yeah. somebody's alarm clock caught fire and then it went up uh, the drapes and then uh, he ran out on the street and he was in his underwear and then he realised his cat was inside so he had to go back in and save the cat and it went on for about five minutes like that. Um, so he had me laughing. And did he get the job? He got the job, yeah. <laughs> uh, fantastic. So, so who's, who's made the greatest impact on your career and why? Um, I mentioned I've worked for three companies. Uh, one of them was a larger corporate, the other two were uh, smaller, sort of 10 to 20 million dollar turnover. Uh, the founders of each of those businesses uh, were both mentors. Uh, it was different stages in my career. Uh, one was where I got my first management job. Um, he told me the saying, I want I am, I do I am. Um, and when I decided I wanted to be a, a high caliber manager, people manager, um, he steered me into doing a business management course and that type of stuff. So I learned a lot uh, with him and then when I moved back to Australia, the founder of the solar company I worked for uh, taught me a lot um, and also removed the limiting belief about age. Um, he asked me if I wanted to be a CEO by the time I was 30 uh, and I did, but you always have self-doubt uh, whether age will be a factor. Um, and he really showed me that uh, being a CEO by 30 himself, um, the age was just a number and uh, if you want respect from people, uh, they will look at your actions. Uh, so it's not what people hope or intend or, or, or say that they'll do. People look at what you actually do. And um, so I took that and just made sure I was doing the right things. 
Yeah, so Chris, this has been a, a fantastic conversation today. I really appreciate you opening up around your journey into becoming a CEO, um, the way you lead your team, talking about sales psychology, um, you, you, the way you interview, and obviously that comes along with how you're building your team and what type of people you want on your staff. And, and to see your passion for something that you never thought you'd get into around the energy sector and how, how much you understand around that and the, I suppose, diversity of viewpoints you're looking at that from. So take your hat off to you and, and congratulations on what you've been able to achieve so far. And we wish you well on your journey with Choice Energy and seeing it continue to disrupt the industry and, and continue to develop forward. So thank you. Great. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate the uh, chat. It's been great. And good luck with the rest of your podcast series. I'll uh, yeah. be tuning in to hear the rest of the episodes. Fantastic. Thank you very much, mate. Much appreciated. Great. Cheers. Our active CEO wellness tip today is all about playing with puzzles, Greg. Yeah, you know, it's important to stimulate our, our creativity, intellect and memory through, you know, playing puzzles. We did this a lot as a kid. You know, we'd always be challenged at school. We had at home, we had, you know, playing games of good old fashioned chess. Yep. And absolutely. now we're starting to see, you know, other things like Rubik's Cubes, um, Sudoku. Well, just the, the simple old crossword puzzle really just um, breaks you out of the day to day, I guess, grind. And um, it's something that really is not only relaxing, but also can stimulate. Um, brain activity. Yeah, and it's important to stimulate the brain in different ways because it helps regenerate and rebuild new brain cells, that neuroplasticity, and, and ensuring that we're continuing to um, broaden our horizons and, and think in different dimensions as well, you know, yeah. that, that diversity of the way we think. Now, I also know that you're really keen on this really difficult double gear maze puzzle. Now, how do you pronounce that one again? Oh, mate, you, you, you tested me there today. Yeah. So, you know, that's things like Xanrod. Uh, labyrinth and you've got uh, Kaduko. Kaduko. Um, so you know the you know the different types of puzzles that you know for those that have mastered the Rubik's cube or <laughs> or find jigsaw puzzles really easy, um, that might be something they move on to next. But you, you know you talk about it challenging your mind. What I find with things like jigsaws and a game of chess, it's almost calming to me. It's a really good way for me just to calm everything, the noise from the day down a little bit, and it helps me just progress into a relaxed state. And were you like that as a kid too? Because I've seen yep. plenty of kids flip the jigsaw puzzle up because they can't fit the last 10 pieces in. Yep, yep. Um, I probably wasn't that sort of kid. I'd certainly like the jigsaws, but don't give me a Rubik's Cube because I think that would have been thrown away. <laughs> it's been quite an energizing and a really interesting and fascinating conversation with Christine this afternoon from uh, Choice Energy. Yeah, just amazing. The solar energy or the renewable energy industry is a massive growth industry. Um, and it was really good to learn from um, Chris exactly what was involved with that and how he grew his business from, from zero, from a startup. Yeah, he was talking about, you know, for, for one thing that he's found a solution for, there's now another puzzle that needs to be solved. And, mm. and that sort of happened when we're talking about electric cars. So electric cars, by 2030, they're talking around 75% of all cars will be electric, uh, but at the moment, the power grid cannot sustain that. It can't even sustain 50% of mm. cars going to electric. So it's around, okay, how can we establish those? What sort of batteries are going to be required in the future and how are we going to make sure we can manage that so we don't have a whole lot of issues in society because our cars don't work anymore because we can't get them charged. Yeah, um, yeah. Maybe that'll get people riding bikes more often. Well, there you go. We'd be happy with that. <laughs> but I'd like to go back and, and just speak a little bit about that 
uh, when they did start up and uh, every fortnightly the wages bill would come in and they were sort of $10,000 short and how were they going to make up the short for and you know very um, you know he did it the hard way no investors no bank loans nope. there's not many companies that can say that they had no debts to yep. work with and 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 in truth self-taught uh, he spoke to us about reading leadership books when he came out of his previous career which was sales leading reading leadership books and figuring out how to do it yeah because he never went to university straight out of school he he decided to go across to the UK uh, he went back and did some tertiary education around 27 and, yeah. and, and management as well and so it shows that you know look you can get a great education from the workforce yep. and you've got to have that growth mindset to do it though and he's very very open about not being the smartest kid that was at school or anything like that but gee he had some drive and he had some vision uh, he had that growth mindset um, and he was willing to teach himself it's a full credit to him it was really enjoyable speaking with him he really sees the advantages and the importance of ensuring that his staff have really good health and wellness yep, practices absolutely. in place. He leads by example for that. He role models that. And he talked about you know giving an allowance of thirty dollars a month to buy a book, and to be able to share those experiences. And he, you know they mm. had a seven minute podcast segment that they listened to uh, yesterday at their mm. their meeting. And yep. I think that just shows that they've got that continual growth. It's around if we want to be better, we've got to train ourselves. It was also interesting to hear that he was really strong on the fact that you don't miss your lunch break. Now, he was talking about going on his lunch break to do a little bit of training. Um, so it was, it was heartening to hear that he was really advocating and pushing not just to sit there and just work through the whole day. And how often do we see that? People oh. will grab their lunch and sometimes they don't even have lunch and they just keep working, 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 working. And in the end, they're just spinning wheels and not how productive do are they really? And could they be more productive if they yeah, worked in segments of 45 minutes, took a little break, 45 minutes, took a little break, etc., mm. and made sure they got that one hour mental recharge, physical recharge at lunchtime, yeah. um, switched off for a bit and then went back into it. And obviously he does it through, yeah, as you say, exercise, his team get out there as well. Um, there was some great, uh, a great example of one of the guys that had lost weight, um, yeah. sleeping well, health had become much better. Um, they've looked at ways to reduce sick, uh, sickness and through you know, take, you know, starting a bit later on a Wednesday yeah, and giving them some good. different solutions. There. Yeah, yeah. No, it was uh, very enjoyable and lots to learn through that one. Yeah, oh, for sure. So that's the Active CEO podcast for this week, where the ordinary don't belong. Join the Active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's N-R-G number two perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to perform. Leave a review on iTunes. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.